0: This episode of Cheat Codes, a sickle cell podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. This episode of Cheat Codes was supported by Agios. Doctors Amar Mars and Mike Callahan are employees of Agios Pharmaceuticals. What's up Cheat Codes listeners? It's me, Dr. Z. And me, Dr. C. Dr. C, we're on this theme of legends in sickle cell disease, and, and legends come in all different forms. Right? Superheroes like the Avengers come in all different shapes, sizes, and roles. Yes?
1: Yeah, some of them can even change, like the Wonder Twins.
0: (laughs) And I don't think we have any Avengers who are father-son duos, but today we've got quite a duo with us
1: on She-Codes. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. I've been a fan from a a distance for a long time now. I was telling these guests the exact same thing
0: just before starting our recording. I've been fanboying for a long time and I'm just so happy we're able to connect. Without further ado, I'm gonna have our guests introduce
2: themselves. Let's start with you, Charles. Hopefully I get to introduce myself as Dr. J, since I'm rolling with Dr. C and Dr. Z over here. But my name is Charles Jonasin. I'm an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Pittsburgh. I'm trained as a psychologist and epidemiologist, and we've been studying uh, behavioral factors, mental health and pain and sickle cell for almost 20 years now. But man, excited to be here. Excited to be here with my father, Monsieur Jude Jonasin. Amazing.
3: My name is Jude. I've been doing this um, research endeavor for about 20 years now. And the main reason for that, and I really wanted to help people in terms of getting answers faster to So ma- mainly my, my focus is finding tools that will help research get answers faster.
0: Now, there's one more person who we've invited back to this Cheat Codes episode. She is a Cheat Codes alumnus. Cass, welcome to Cheat Codes. Tell them who you are.
4: Sure. My name is Cassandra Trimnow. I'm executive director and founder at Sickle Cell 101. I'm also a person living with sickle cell disease, and I can't wait to grill the Jonasons.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <It's a grill. laughs> I
0: promised them it was going to like. be a friendly interaction. Yes.
4: Uh, <laughs> not today.
2: <laughs> Our gloves are off. It's all good. You go ahead.
0: All right. So I've got so many questions. I was thinking about how we're going to frame this discussion. And, and man, I just have too many questions. So Dr. J, let's start with you, man. I want to hear a little bit about where the passion for sickle cell disease comes from, man? Where does this all
2: start for you? Yeah, it was funny that my father's actually on the line, but actually I got started in sickle cell because of my father. I went to Duke and back in 2003 as a graduate student, I was really interested in health disparities, just addressing the disparity between blacks and whites and cardiovascular disease and other health outcomes. And one of the <laughs> the best groups to study was really sickle cell. Where else are you going to see such a stark disparity between how patients with sickle cell disease are treated versus their white counterparts? And the other thing was <laughs> spending time with uh, my sickle cell warriors, it just felt like wow, I'm home. People like Cass, who would just gloves off and just give it to me absolutely real and unadulterated. But really, the reason I got into sickle cell is because where I was working at Duke in graduate school, My father was actually working as a research nurse right across the street, in the building right across the street. And I had obviously been interested in African-American, African-American health, et cetera. And he said, hey, why don't you just come over here and just see what we're doing? And I got connected with some of the other physicians that that work in sickle cell, Dr. Laura DeCastro, also Christopher Edwards. So I just met some really influential minority clinical researchers that just got me into it and, and invested in me, invested in my career. And really helped me take it off,
1: Dr. Jay. I, I saw that you are you did a fellowship at Johns Hopkins too, a postdoc fellowship. And do you do clinical too, or you, you research psychology, or are you seeing patients as well? Yeah, abs- absolutely.
2: Uh, I think that. <clears throat> The important thing when we're doing research is to not forget why in the world are we doing research. Uh, just because I publish a paper doesn't mean that it impacts anybody. And I think that maintaining a clinical touch on patients is the only way to keep us grounded. Why are we even doing science? I mean, why are we even doing science? We need, we, we're we not just here just to find these P values and significant effects. We're actually here to impact people's lives. But yeah, so I started, uh, my, my psychology background is in clinical psychology. I actually did an internship where I was doing half-time seeing exclusively adults with sickle cell, adults and adolescents. And then when I went to Hopkins, I got into a general internal medicine fellowship where I was actually able to work with their hematology team and also see patients there. Now, I do still do some clinical work at, at the University of Pittsburgh, uh, but as I hope that we can talk about with all these projects that we have going on, we're really trying to expand how much clinical work one person can do, uh, and that's the real issue. It's There's one psychologist, and for instance, at Hopkins, they see over 500 adults with sickle cell, and as you can imagine, there's no way that Dr. J can see everybody, but as I believe every single patient with sickle cell should see somebody about their psychological and mental wellness. Even if you're not depressed, even if you're not anxious, please get a a power up, get a cheat code to make your wellness even better than what it already is. But we know that one person can't see all those individuals. So that's the work that we're trying to do now and expand what we're able to do clinically.
0: Cass, how does that resonate with you? I'm curious. Mm
4: -hmm. No, it's awesome. I've had many separate conversations with Dr. Jonason and um Glad to see that mental health and just dealing with the whole body, which is mental health as well, be included in the conversation. A lot of times it gets left out. So I'm glad to see that the communities, prioritizing and researchers and healthcare providers are prioritizing mental health and just the services that go along with that to provide additional support in, in managing sickle cell disease.
0: Absolutely agree with you. Absolutely agree with you. Okay, Jude, I'm very curious about where your road starts on this uh, on this journey. I really want to hear how you end up on this path in sickle cell disease and clearly you got to a point where you were able to instill this type of heart and spirit into your son. So your journey must have been something special. Let's hear about it.
3: Yeah, from probably about 40 years now, we've been there to provide some psychosocial um, behavioral help to a lot of people. Family, we probably have housed about more than 70 people. And for the whole time that Charles was a child and lived with us, I don't think he ever at a time where we were not hosting or helping somebody. And so that's been consciousness. For my part, research was the thing that I realized that can make progress, right? So you can do clinical. It's very important, it's very helpful. My, my parents, they lost four kids before me and they lost two kids after me. And it's a lot, I would guess, the two after me, a lot to do with how far research had come. So if you, research was expedited, then they, neither one of them would have, would have died. That, that's a guarantee. So for me, uh, my background was uh, originally in mathematics and computer science, and I also trained in uh, theology. Then I wanted to do be a missionary. So when I came to, to work at Duke it was specifically to help my son, be at Dougie City, wanted to be at that kind of institution. At the time, as a nurse, I could move to anywhere you know, we would like. And my wife and I, we felt we've lived already. We've, we've been there for, we had to raise about 25 children by that time. So we felt it's the second Go and when I met some tremendous people when I got to Duke it was one of those places they made, made me feel really well. So I had the opportunity to work on statistics, opportunity to work on genetics. It, it was amazing. So that's how. And I wanted to build tools so that I can help investigators. So that that's my main thing. How can I support residents, support students, support the community, any anyone that is trying to help other people. I don't care where they go and help other people, but when they pass by where I am, I'd like to equip them. And I feel that I'm pretty confident that that they will receive something that would be helpful. And so that's where, that's how I got into this. And we always we haven't answered the questions. When I first started, the average age, you know, at death was about 40s and it's still like that. And when I look back on my origin, probably as a Haitian, the average age of deaf is around the same thing. So that really grips me. I, I, it doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't, that we have so much knowledge, so much power to do so many things, and we can provide properly. And, you know, obviously I'm very happy with what we've, that the efforts being made because there's a lot of effort from the community. And for many doctors, for many investigators, for many scientists, from the community, it's a lot of work. But I'd like to see more, that's the the outcome, more expedited and and less suffering to to happen. So that's where I am. And I'm feeling time is pressing a little bit. (laughs) So so I'm thinking, like, train more people, get them in, get it going. We got to have an answer. We have to have an answer by the time, you know, I'm saying goodbye.
0: It's a immense. It's an immense amount of pressure, right? Like you feel, you can it's palpable pressure of needing to progress, needing to push things forward. So
1: I love, I have a daughter going off to college this year, and I think she would lose her mind if I followed her to college. But you followed Dr. J to grad school, and you yeah. guys are still working together 15 years later. So, right. Hear that? Did you hear that, Fia? Yeah. But I, I think Dr.
2: C. Wait, it's even better than that. Actually, they went down to Durham, North Carolina before, a year and a half, before I even applied to Duke. He just said, this is a spiritual man. I always said, my father is like Moses, this guy. As long as he's holding that staff up, we will win the battle. But they said that, you know what? I feel like you're going to go to Duke. I applied, I didn't get in. (laughs) I didn't get in. And so I lived with them for a year, but the second year I applied, you know, I got into a lot of places, but Duke was the place that I ended up going. So they had that vision
1: before I even had that vision, to be honest with you. Wow, and I think that pressure to get, Make changes and make things better is so important, and I think we have so many people working and making these great advances. But the big problem is implementing those things, and I know that's so much of what you guys work on is implementation science and how can we get patients involved in their care and really make these changes. And I think that's the thing that's going to pay off the fastest.
3: Yeah, and I think Chose was ahead, much ahead of me about this implementation aspect, and and I'm. Finding it out now that how we need to hear from everybody in terms of culturally community-wise, it's that important that to to have the good answers that that are really customizable. We need to hear from a lot of people, and that's what um, I'm learning now. That I love the idea of being in the group settings and listen and, and to listen. Uh, there's a lot to gain there. So
2: speaking of, I don't know Cass if you remember how we met actually. Um, The Foundation for Sickle Cell Disease Research, it gets held in Florida every year. We wanted to do a, I was at Pitt at the time. I just started as one year in. We wanted to do a presentation on social media and sickle cell and find out, just as like Jude was saying, what is the community saying about sickle cell and what their needs are? And it was at that presentation that I got, I'll give a plug to Tosin Ola, Sickle Cell Warriors, <laughs> she'll say to this day that she's the one who introduced us, but really connected with you at that time. And you presented on SE 101 and what you're doing on Instagram, which is amazing. But during that, that symposium that we held looking at different sites or different social media sites, Facebook and what Warriors are saying, it became loud and clear that mental health was really prominent in the community. We had we had people on the site on Facebook just saying, hey, Sickle Cell can take over now. I don't want to live no more. Hey, please, somebody tell me where the jugular vein is so I can stick my hospital fork in it. It's just really gripping stories that we were learning from Facebook. And I think that's really the start of our direction of being like, well, the community is talking to us. We haven't really been focusing on mental health and sickle cell, but this is obviously something that where there's a need.
0: Yeah, I, man, there's a lot. There's a lot to, to unpack with that. I, um, first of all, you're right. Hats off to Cass though right? Hats off to Cass for creating a platform that is as large as it is globally now, um, touching so much of the community. And hats off to you guys for the innovation that comes with the tools you're building, the innovation that comes with the approach, and for prioritizing mental well-being, right? This is just something that No matter how good your biology is, if your mind and spirit are not there, it doesn't matter. So as far as I'm concerned as a sickle cell physician, mental well-being has to be our priority. It just has to be.
1: And I I think it's a huge unmet need. Everywhere I go, people say, we don't have enough psychologists. I can't get my patient in to see anybody. And I, I... I think some of the stuff you guys are doing there is like uh, Jesus with the bread and the loaves or something. There's only a certain amount of psychologists, only a certain amount of social workers who can help. How do we take that and expand it to feed everybody? So I came across Charisma and I fell in love with with the consent form. It's a video. I would encourage everybody to go watch it. And I think that's how we should be doing consents. But I love the idea of just using technology and people, I, Dr. Z always says, well, you got to get in the, into this rectangle if you want to talk to patients. And th- you guys are doing that. So how, how did you think of that? And it looks like a tremendous project. How is it going?
2: Yeah, it was, first of all, I just want to kick it to Cass because um, just speaking about the work that they're doing on social media, which is really the impetus for doing this. Obviously, Charisma is essentially uh, we're trying to provide behavioral support to adults with sickle cell disease to help them self-manage. Obviously the primary target is pain, but we're getting as a spillover effect mental health, right? If if your mental health, if one patient said to me is like, Charles, if my mind ain't right, my body ain't right. And we know that for sure, just like Dr. Z said, it's we need to take care of the mind to take care of the body.
4: First, you guys are being really nice. Thank you. And I always say part of this is selfish for selfish reasons. I'm a warrior myself, so I get it, living through it and, and seeing what resources are available and what gaps that we have and just... Uh, Charles and and Jude have been such amazing partners in this and awesome just resources as Charles being able to have that person to to connect these resources with people is the other Part of this. It's providing the information, but then so what after the information? How do we make this something that's tangible? How do we make this solution oriented? And that's where these guys come in and have been so extremely helpful in in building infrastructure around what can be presented to the sickle cell community. And so I'm very happy. And then also they just get it too, which is awesome. Jude said earlier that there is a sense of urgency and I don't think people, healthcare providers really talk about that. This needs to happen like yesterday, right? These tools needed to be rolled out yesterday and just working very intricately with the community on these and really allowing back and forth with the community has made the world of a difference. And it really has, they really have provided a tool that is useful for the community. And I'm just so happy to be part of the project.
0: So really quickly, before we go back to these guys, give us a 30,000 foot view on where Sickle Cell 101 is right now.
4: Oh, okay. Where are we? Well, we're trying to be everywhere, right? This information needs to be everywhere for people. And as of right now, we have we're the largest online, you know, digital group devoted to sickle cell education and research. And we have about fifty thousand followers, and they originate in one hundred and fifteen places. So just that's just to show. how this really is a a global thing now and people are really needing that information. And so we hope to be um, anywhere a patient is where our goal is to meet people living with sickle cell disease where they're at. So if that's social media, if that's on YouTube or TikTok, if we have to just finding where people are and then making sure that that information is accessible to them.
0: I think Dr. J is absolutely right here. You're the pioneer of meet the patients where they are. So thank you for that. We You've done this community a great service by injecting that type of energy and showing people like us, showing academics like the Renaissance that their work can use that type of innovation to meet people where they are. So I want to, with that, I want to go back to charisma. Dr. C teased it a little bit, but where... Where does the idea for charisma? I'm actually really genuinely curious about this. Are you guys sitting at home, having dinner, and watching the game? And you're like, hey, you know what? I have this idea. And Where does this? How does? How do these convert? When do you guys have time to get these back and forths in? Do you guys discuss this often? Is this always top of mind? Is work? Are you? Have you completely lost your work and home balance? Is it single yeah. cell twenty four
2: seven? It is work 24-7 though. That is true. I think the thing we like in talking about and discussing the most is probably work. I don't know if you want, it really did start in 2009. Jude started programming on his own. Like he said, he has a background in computer science and mathematics, and he just picked up iOS, Apple programming just on a cuff. I don't know if you want to speak about that, but that's really the combination of working with the community and people like CASF and this kind of idea of using mobile to reach out to patients. So Jude, you just pick up iOS. I mean, like people. I don't know. Does that? I, I pick
0: up. <laughs> I pick up snacks.
3: I like, <laughs>
1: okay. like a new Netflix uh, show. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. There was a need because we were we were doing an industry sponsored study, and on the site side, it was not organized in terms of the minute somebody showed up to the hospital, we wanted to you know, let everybody know. And when they start on the study, when they do consent, who needs to know and those kind of things. So I put a program together. That was my first application to make sure that all this traffic is, uh, everybody is in. And then also all the visit checklists and all the, there were some PKs and stuff like that. So I wanted to make sure that those were being done on time. So this, it was all being with the portal organized so that we can know what to do. And the pharmacy would receive their notification when that's needed, the PI notified that when it's needed and for everybody involved, we'd get notified and we would be on track with the study. So that was the, the start. And then Charles wanted to have this... Platform where all single cell patients can have their data, their information. And uh, we, we, we call it SCD GAS. I can't remember what GAS was, <laughs> stood for, but it was going to be this generalized... Uh, we, we applied for a Robert Wood Foundation grant, I think it was 2009. And then we did an. And
0: that was for just to clarify, that was for sickle cell patients to have access to their own information in one spot. Correct.
3: That's what we wanted to do. And then we applied for an SCTR probably 2009, 2010, looking at pain in sickle cell disease. You know how to get it in real time. And because going to the hospital, my blood pressure is one, staying at home, my blood pressure is another. I go to the hospital, so patient pain, we wanted to know in real time and what they're doing for it. They go to the ED, they go, things like that. So we wanted to really uh, embrace this idea that your care is all the time rather than just when you show up to a hospital or clinical uh, visit. So that's where that came from. Brands is always going, and anything's to help. And that, and, and anything's to help. And that
2: app, the EMA app that was collecting pain and mood data, ecological momentary assessment. It was called the Smart App. And Doctor Z, I tell you, man, this was way ahead of its time. If, so Jude had programmed so that if you came into a one mile radius of a hospital, it would ask you, hey, are you visiting the hospital right now? And this was back Whoa, in 2009 because we no wanted to get that information way. of, hey, are you experiencing increase in your pain Does that mean that you go to the hospital? And then the whole idea was, of course, a lot of patients have told us it's just difficult to talk to our ED docs because they don't know anything about us. And so that as soon as you enter into that sphere, that you call the perimeter geofence. There we go. See, I got all the cool tech language. As soon as you cross that geofence, we would send you your little info card and we would just tell you have all the information that your ED doc would want to know, including what your pain plan was. So that was really the beginning. And that smart app has been picked up. Nirmish Shah has really taken that to the next level and has used the smart app in several studies now, both inpatient and outpatient. I think it's been used in four or five funded studies, even though those first early grants that we applied for in 2009 did not get funded, but we didn't know what we were doing back then not that we know what we're doing now but at least I we have so. a little bit more knowledge than we used to but yeah i don't know man you just
0: used the word geofence i really know what you're doing <laughs> yeah, yeah we
2: it's funny because i almost think it was too early at that time over 10 years ago trying to talk about using your phone to track how you're feeling and be able to implement interventions in the moment right now there's several sickle cell apps where you can track track your mood your pain and things like that which are it's fantastic but really and just to get to charisma quick I was working with Cass and I had this idea for a model to understand how stress was contributing to pain in sickle cell. I said, hey Cass, you got to help me figure this out. And I knew obviously she has an artistic background. Everything she does is beautiful. But I wanted to work with Cass to figure out, hey, how can we understand how patients are ending up in the hospital and what's that cycle that continues hospitalizations and pain in sickle cell. And in addition to working with Cass, we had interviews with a lot of adults with sickle cell and and, and family members. And we found out that stress was clearly a trigger for sickle cell, but using the biopsychosocial model, get into my like psychological background, looking at the biopsychosocial model, we realized, hey, a lot of patients are having these feelings of just feeling defeated. Like overwhelmed. like I I can't do this anymore. Like I'm never going to get out of this rut. And then they get depressed and anxious. And everybody knows that fight or flight response. For us, without sickle cell, that's okay. We get stressed out at work. We fail an exam. It's cool. But in sickle cell, with an increase in heart rate, blood pressure, muscle tension, vasoconstriction, that could lead to a vaso-occlusive crisis. And then once you're in the hospital, those negative thoughts and that mental health and that depression all starts all up again. And we were looking at this and Cass built this Beautiful model that we subsequently published in the sickle cell disease textbook that was edited by Mark Gladwin. But this beautiful model, we're like, how can we interrupt this cycle? And of course, as a psychologist, I'm like cognitive behavioral therapy. But what we want to do was, hey, how can you expand what Charles Jonasen is doing in the clinic face to face with people? How can you make that accessible to everybody all across the nation? And the other thing was, is we realized that Cass and her group they're already doing evidence-based care for patients. And they're doing it to, like we said, they're doing it to more patients than more people in the community than we will ever touch in our life. So they're delivering evidence-based psychosocial, uh, psychological education and mental health education and psychosocial education to people in the community via Instagram. And what we wanted to do was just copy exactly what they're doing and then claim it for our own. But Cass was like, no way, (laughs) you're not gonna do this. So the cool thing was, is that Cass honored us. She actually came to the University of Pittsburgh, actually did a lot of her educational modules and did the videos for it right in one of our studios here at the University of Pittsburgh. So she sat down with us, went through all these scripts, Took two days, got on the video, uh, and we did a lot of work just to portray exactly what she's trying to do online, and we tried to put it in a nice little package. And then the other thing was, when we were talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, I first, I honestly, Dr. C., I, I honestly, I tried to do it myself at first, and we showed it to a couple patients, and they were like, no, that's garbage, Charles you are so corny. That looks horrible. <laughs> Honestly. And, really? and obviously Cass was one of those who so just Charles, you are just such a cornball. <laughs> it's, it's not going to work. And they said they were, they're were real. That's why I love my people. They're real. They said, Charles, you know what? You have a lot of knowledge and we love you and everything. But if we want to learn about how to manage our pain, we'd want to learn from another warrior, somebody who's actually been through it before. And so what we did is actually Cass um, connected us with with Smalls, Cameron Smalls, and she came up from California and she just laid it down. It was beautiful, man. She got in the studio and so she has a hip hop background. She does a lot of multimedia and and broadcasting. And she just did three modules for us on video about cognitive behavioral therapy, about coping. And she has a background with mental health and everything. So she got it. We gave her the scripts, but she edited the crap out of those things. We got feedback from other warriors and also we integrated with that interviews, video interviews with warriors just talking about their stress and mental health and sickle cell pain. It really was, I wish I could say it was our idea, but honestly, it really just came from the community. And we realized very quickly, if we try to do this on our own, it's not gonna work. And we really have to every single time even if it takes longer, I will check in with somebody. I'll say, hey, Cass, take a look at this. Is this okay? You know, is this going to work? Is this a good idea? She'll say, no, it's a garbage idea, but this might work. Or we bring in a group, we sit down, we have some lunch, and we go over some videos, we go over some scripts, we go over some ideas. And so the whole protocol for Charisma to deliver behavioral health care to as many patients as we could nationally, that really was a a group effort and a group decision just working with the community, patients, and their family members. But really happy about where we've gotten so far with over 200 people enrolled in the study.
1: That's such a huge lesson for everybody. I think you need to talk to the people who are going to be affected by your studies and get them involved in designing them if you want to be successful. So you touched on this catastrophizing where you you go into a spiral and you say this is terrible and you go to a dark place and make it worse really. and one of the few ways to get out of that is this cognitive behavioral therapy. Can you break that down for a lay person? What is cognitive behavioral therapy? I I think it sounds like a lot, but when you... When you hear what specific things you can do, I think it's a lot of time easier to... Yeah,
2: no, that's, uh, yeah, that's perfect. Thank you for that. So cognitive is just really what we think, and then behavior is just what we do. And if we take notice and change those two things, we can change the way we feel and we can change our outcomes. And so essentially, so say you, you ask some girl out on a date and she says, no, you're the worst, get away from me. All right. Immediately in your mind, you might go, hey, she doesn't know what she's missing out on. Or you might say, oh, my goodness, she doesn't like me because I'm just ugly. I'm stupid. I'm a clown and have all these negative thoughts. And then your behavior goes along in parallel with that, right? Your behavioral response is you're going to feel down. You're going to have that tight knot in your gut. You might start closing up and like a nut and becoming small. Whereas when you're feeling more confident, like she doesn't know what she's missing out on, you're going to be big and large and grandiose. And the attribution that we make to these stressors or these negative effects in our life, for instance, if, if you're going into the ED and you say, I'm in pain, and the nurse all of a sudden turns on her heels and goes, whatever. What's the attribution that you make at that time? The fact is that this probably never happens, but it could be so she saw her ex-boyfriend right behind you. And that's the reason she turned on her heels and left. And so there could be ulterior explanations to everything that happens. Key is that to understand these spirals, like you said, Dr. Seed, like our spirals in terms of how our mind tells us stories. And just because our mind tells us a story does not mean that it's real. Just because our mind tells us that we're a failure and we're never going to find love and we're never going to be a success and we're never going to have a job um, does not mean that's the truth or that we're dumb does not mean that's the truth. And really cognitive behavioral therapy just attacks those lies that we tell ourselves and actually goes and tries to find evidence. What do you mean that you're dumb? Yeah, you were on a roll in high school. Yeah, you got into a college. You got into a really good college. Yes, you got hospitalized repeatedly over that first year. And yes, you had to drop out, but that doesn't mean that you're dumb. Let's look at the evidence instead of what your mind is telling you. And yeah, just being able to be aware of that, like they said in GI Joe, that's an old school reference, but knowing is half the battle. You know, we're not saying we're not saying that you might necessarily be able to change it, but hey, just being able to recognize, like, oh, there's my mind going again. There's my little friend on my shoulder just telling me those negative things about myself, and I know those things aren't true. Just even that alone, just acknowledging, can make a huge difference.
0: So I'm curious, Cass, as you're hearing that, like the first time you're getting this, you're talking to these guys about charisma, and you're hearing about this. What's going through your mind as a warrior, as an advocate for the warriors? Is that I'm just Like, are you like sold on it immediately? This is going to be the thing that's going to work? Walk me through that.
4: I saw what little was done for mental health. I saw, and they were really on, they were on the forefront of that mental health conversation with the sickle cell community. And so to see it be brought to life and see that these tools um, could be available to the broader sickle cell community was something that immediately, was very exciting to, to hear about, to see their enthusiasm around this. It really was, it really felt like this was by us, which was also exciting. And then just allowing us to present this information in, in the way that we wanted to. Somebody mentioned the consent video. I love it too. It's one of my favorite things. And I think this is how everybody has to do it. We're not just writing it down in a 20 page protocol. We're presenting it and we're speaking to people and letting them know this is what's part of the study, both good and bad, being transparent, being honest about it. I think that goes a long way within the sickle cell community. And so just to be part of this and to hear what was being presented was uh, very exciting.
2: Hey, Dr. Z, can I tell you the reality of what really happened? Heck yeah! Yeah. So of course, this is a study. It's supposed to be. We're, we're supposed to have equipoise. We, we're not supposed to say that CBT is better than education or education is better than CBT. Immediately when Cass, we told her, like, she's like, oh, so you're comparing cognitive behavioral therapy to our education program? She's like, oh, okay. We're gonna we're gonna kick you. Off. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna beat you. We're <laughs> definitely gonna win. So she was on it. I think primarily for that, just to show her that her stuff was better.
0: Hey, a little friendly competition is very motivating.
1: So you have this. Cognitive behavioral therapy, you have this patient education from patients, and then you think, I, I need to get this to the patients in an app, and you got in-house app building. So It's amazing. So when, when do we find out who, who won?
4: <laughs> <laughs> automatically yes I mean you
1: can crown two winners and for sure the patients will win
2: absolutely yeah, and the reality so I was just saying the reality is we're just trying to figure out what works best for who there's a lot of there's a lot of warriors who already have the education that Cass's group has, has been disseminating for the last 10 years getting cognitive behavioral therapy is just a little added bonus on top of that but there are some warriors who really do need that education and may not know what their genotype is or may not know how to estimate their risk of passing on the sickle cell trait. So we're really just trying to figure out what works best for who. And and the unfortunate part is with clinical research is that things go very slowly. So we really won't find out until the end of 2023. But along the way, we'll try to update and and let you know what we're learning.
0: So I've got to ask the question. Jude had very much alluded to how global sickle cell disease is and the burden that we face outside of the US. What's the role for something like this for CBT outside of the US, number one? Number two is once you guys deem success of this, which I'm certain you will, are there plans to start going global? Y-
3: yes, and the answer to that is yes. We are speaking with the sick kids uh, of Toronto to do this in Canada Um, most of Canada uh, speaks English and there are a lot of countries like so we have people who try to get on the program from Ghana and Nigeria so we anywhere that they speak English we could easily uh, use the program of course since everything is homemade it will be hard to translate into French or uh, Spanish, but right now that we, you know, we can cover a lot of ground with the English offering, so um, we're looking forward to that.
1: Will you incorporate some Canadian patients so they can say sorry and A and all of that in the <laughs> native language?
3: <laughs> <laughs> so we, we can always update. Um, we've done all the videos ourselves. Charles didn't mention he has, that's one of his skills, the production, the video production. Uh, that is learned in school. Uh, so, we do a lot of that ourselves. We'd have to write the script. So, if we, and we have the ability to add to it. So, right now, it doesn't even end. It's saying goodbye, but not really saying goodbye. So, we can add as we go along. Once it's not a part of the study anymore, then we have a lot more opportunities to open it up. And also, the people that are talking about why not uh, starting to think of it in the, the clinical zone. The way it's done, that you can't do no harm with this. <laughs> You, you will do no harm. We're talking about education and cognitive behavioral therapy, all presented by, by patients themselves. So it's something we, we, you know, to look into. But again, because it's in the study, we are limited in the things, the liberty that we have, that we're looking towards, um, making that available everywhere people speak English. Just to
4: add to that, I, what I really like about this is the accessibility. You don't need much in order to hop on to... A program like this. It's just not that you need something elaborate. You don't need necessarily uh, a research center. This is something that can get to everybody as long as you have a you can get connected and already have access to those tools in order to get better. And so that, that's really awesome. A lot of time we talk about accessibility and we think about these therapeutic options and what's available, what's not in this region, in that region. Of course, language is one of those barriers, but for and, and that's something we can expand, but uh, for the most part, it's something that can be accessible.
0: Well, look, you guys, I you've got me smiling ear to ear. I am I'm just proud that this community has people like the three of you working tirelessly trying to make things better for the patients. Just the fact that I was able to share time with you over this last hour hearing about what you're working on and your passion it's going to drive me for for a little while here. I want you to know that you are appreciated. As legends of sickle cell disease, the three of you are so appreciated. And I want to ask if you can share with the Warriors how they can keep up with what's happening with Charisma, what's happening with the research that you're working on. Of course, the Warriors probably know how to follow Sickle Cell 101, but how do
2: they keep up with Charisma? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking that. One thing just before I get into that is it is a digital intervention and and we are trying to leverage technology. But the reality is that what makes this work is real people with with the app. Everybody who signs up for the program does get a health coach. And I got to tell you what, and for the most part, our health coaches are mostly adults living with sickle cell and who have volunteered and are spending their time connecting with other warriors all across the country. And without people like Dima Hendricks, for instance, without those health coaches, there's no way that we'd be able to make this happen. And I think that particularly during this COVID Pandemic period, it it really is important for other warriors to connect with somebody. And and we've heard such great feedback on what an impact, what an impact connecting with a health coach has been. That said, we are now finally on social media. Of course, you can always connect through SC101 and kind of find out, find updates on charisma, but we are on social media at sickle cell health coach on Instagram. You can also check out our website. Charisma without a h. It's just c a r i s m a dash s c d dot com, and that will take you right to right to the intro video, etc. And we'll try to put more updates on that website as well. But yeah, we're trying to connect. We're working with over thirty CBO partners, and we're just trying to disseminate all our information through those channels because nobody wants to follow, you know, Dr. J or Jude's Instagram profile. They really want to follow Cass and see what she's talking about. So. We just try to push out all our charisma stuff through her. Awesome. I love it. With that, guys,
1: I just want to thank you one more time for taking some time this afternoon. That flew by. I feel like we just scratched the surface and I know there's so much exciting stuff going on in Pittsburgh. You guys have sickle cell powerhouse there. So we would love to have you back on to to talk about all, all the exciting stuff you guys have going on. But really just a pleasure to have you guys on today.
0: Listen, if you're if you're a warrior out there hearing this podcast, please subscribe, like our episode, rate it, send us feedback. Let us know how we're doing. And if you know somebody who could benefit from this podcast, send it to them. In the meantime, you could follow me at Dr. Z Sickle Cell and me
1: at Imagineer.
0: Until then, take it easy. We'll see you next time. Peace.